You know what it is. That's right. It's time to talk money with your money nerd and financial coach. Now, tighten those purse strings and open those ears. It's the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. So welcome, everybody. This is an exciting collaboration. My first in-person FinCon. I get to meet with my FinCon buddy, <laughs> Tiffany Grant, whose podcast I've been on twice. And we have a very special guest. All right, I'm Tiffany Grant with Money Talk with Tiff, and like Rakim said, we've been like besties since, what, 2019, and so we finally got to meet each other this year in person, so that's been awesome, but my platform is all about financial education, and I'm an accredited financial counselor, and so I do the hand-holding that you were talking about earlier. Why don't we introduce Patrice to the audience who may not know who she is? (laughs) We have a star in our midst. Oh, you guys are so funny. Okay, so I'm Patrice Washington. This is my sixth FinCon in the last 10 years. And for me, this is like a homecoming. So to be able to come back in a space and connect with my FinCon buddies. I have FinCon buddies too. People that I have watched grow up in this space. We've gone on to write books or start podcasts. Mm -hmm. I just had the five-year anniversary of my podcast, Redefining Wealth. Just support each other, live events, anything. And now for me with the TV show, like to know that this is home. This is where you can come to and people who also have a passion for financial education and for supporting people, they understand. You don't have to try to explain as much. It's like, we get it. We're all here to help people be better and do better with money. So I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So my background and really introduction into the financial education space comes from a banking background. Mm. And I grew up experiencing aspects of poverty. I talk about it all the time. And I did not see a lot of content from financial creators that look like me. So discovering that there are other people who look like me, whose experiences are similar to my own, who can talk through what that process of education looks like, but more importantly, and we'll touch on this a little bit later, the process around changing your mindset based off of the programming that you experience because of systemic and economic barriers was just eye-opening for me. I have to say, coming to my first FinCon was, I think, 2012. There were about 100 of us. And so out of the 100 or so people, there were only a handful of people of color in a small group of women. So for me to come back 10 years later, I've come back over the years, but to see it grow this way, and now you're talking about 16, 1,700 people, and there are hundreds of of people (laughs) who look like us. When I was getting started in this space, that was one of the hardest things was to look out, and I believe success leaves clues, right? And and so you want to follow the breadcrumbs to what can this look like? In 2008, 2009, I didn't really see anyone that looked like me, and I also didn't see the people that did look like me didn't seem approachable, and it didn't seem like they understood like where I was in that moment, where I was literally going from a seven-figure business to scraping up change. It's like she's too far gone, this, like that person's on Wall Street or they're doing all of these things and I'm just an everyday person who needs some help. So to see how much this event has grown and how it's brought people together and now it's more diverse and there's just so much more representation, it is so encouraging because that means that more people will be helped because there's many of us who wouldn't go 
take advice from folks that like we can't I mean like well you don't understand <laughs> or what too many barriers here or yeah. what's going on yeah you know? so I love coming back and seeing more and more brown people in this space because that means that our community literally is going to change because we have more awareness and more advocacy and that's important I love it and then to add on to that like I have a saying on my platform hashtag rise and lift so as you're on the incline you reach down and you bring somebody else with you and that's what's been happening especially in the FinCon community as well like when you first went like I wasn't even thinking about personal finance yeah. right. there were people that I followed then and I'm like oh you know what I can do this and I can help people as well and so we're seeing the multiplier effect happening and it's just a beautiful thing it is it is favorite topic on a personal finance conversation is around behavioral finance the uh, the mental side in fact my talk here at this FinCon is going to be around financial trauma so mm -hmm. I know that you yes. are very well versed in the behavioral side of things I just want to hear your perspective as it relates to our very specific demographic brown people what is some of the things that you see acting as a barrier between people who are financially literate and those who struggle with the behavioral side of things? So applying what it is that they know that they should be doing, but aren't actually doing. I have to say, when I first started in this space many years ago now, my assumption, because that's the culture we live in, do better, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like you hear all of these messages that make you feel like, why don't I just get it? Like, why don't I just know better? Or why aren't I doing these things? Why do I keep self-sabotaging? Why am I going in circles? Or why am I making the same choices? Even though maybe January 1st, I said, this is my year to get out of debt. And then February 1st, life happens and you right back into the same cycle. For so long, coming from South Central Los Angeles and Erie called Mert Park, where I'm from, it was literally like either you do better or you just, you have to force yourself to do better. Like you have to make it happen. It wasn't until I lost everything in the recession and I started rebuilding and I became a financial management consultant for a nonprofit organization in Atlanta. And it was the conversations that I was having with people every day where I was like, this is not a money thing. This is a people thing. Right. Like you don't have a budgeting problem. You have a boundary problem. Oh, no. This is not that. Like you're holding on for some people holding on to storage units with like clutter from all these things because you went through some type of trauma in your childhood where maybe some things were taken from you. And you made a decision in that moment, this will never happen to me again. So now you hold on to all of these things that you can't even afford to keep really. So what started to open up for me is this is not about budgets. This is not about credit reports. So the work that I was doing with people every day, I started to give them interventions. I didn't know they were called interventions. I'd be like, let's try this exercise. And I would give people these exercises that for me felt very intuitive. And it just, I would really lock in and listen for what people weren't saying. And I would try to look for the patterns in their behavior that I felt were really the challenge or coach them through scripts for conversations to have with their loved ones. That is when I really fell in love with, I didn't know it was called behavioral finance. I didn't either. <laughs> I had no idea. I started to do that work with people around 2010, 2011, 2012, I went out on my own. And so I was still, I was starting to get known because I was speaking a lot. But then the producers and the people inviting me to speak were like, we really want you to talk about budgets. We really want to talk about saving on groceries. And I'll never forget, I was on Dr. Oz. This is like 2015, maybe. And Dr. Oz, he loves a good visual. He has some like, uh, some felt apple. 
and a piece of like these little cutouts. A lot of props. Lots of props. So it was about saving on groceries, and we were moving something from like one like felt board to the next. And literally, I heard in my spirit like. Now you need to knock this off. This is not the truth. Yes, people can save on groceries. That's fine. But the challenges that we face are so much deeper than that. People are dealing with childhood trauma that they have not processed. And as long as they don't process it, they're going to continue to spiral in these cycles of debt, of just making poor financial decisions because it's the best they know to do. They literally don't know why. You need to get to the root of why and help people have an awareness. A year later, I shut down my site, everything that I was like offering at the time. It was like budgeting stuff, like all of that stuff. And I was like, God, I just want to tell people the truth about wealth. For me, there are so many other parts of our lives that impact our finances. So if I don't talk to you about your mental and physical well-being, I'm doing you a disservice. If I don't talk about your personal, professional relationships, I'm doing you a disservice. If I don't talk about your space and your environment, and is that truly set up to support you? I am not really helping you change anything. And in 2017, I launched Redefining Wealth, and it was that. And then, and so within a few months of launching that, I ended up interviewing someone who literally created a financial behavioral finance curriculum. Oh, nice! He became my mentor, Dr. Brad Klontz, he oh, and his father. Oh, Dr. Brad, yes. Dr. Brad came on the podcast and he was saying all this stuff. And I was like, I say that I do that. Everything I was doing was intuitive. There was no science behind it. I didn't have the research from that perspective. And behavioral finance, I think for people of color is a game changer. It's helpful to everyone and to anyone. But I think for brown people to finally know, friend, you're not crazy. You've been through some trauma. Yes. And we need to call it what it is. Mm -hmm. And because we've learned to normalize Mm -hmm these experiences that they do have lasting impact. And if you don't address them, you'll be 40 years old still operating from something that happened when you were eight years old. Absolutely. And when we can tap into that, I believe your financial life can change, but we have to have those conversations. And then also just to add to that, so as a practicing financial counselor, like I'll have clients that get on the call with me and they're in tears, Mm -hmm. like they're boohoo crying. And I'm like, let's hold on real quick because When you're in that type of mind state or you're in that type of mindset, you can't think straight. Like it's actually physically impossible to think straight. And so some things that I've done is I'm like, okay, let's just, just let's reset. I'm very into energy and stuff like that. So I'm like, let's reset. Let's just do an easy question. What does your ideal life look like? Yeah. Let's just put all your worries and everything to the side. What does that look like for you? Mm -hmm. And so I allowed him to just dream, okay? Now, instead of me going in on that meeting saying, okay, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? I'm like, let's just dream for a minute. Let's put our mindset, let's put our mind into a whole different area. So that way we can, I'll have clients say, oh, if everything was perfect, I would have all my debt paid off. I would do this. I would do that. And so as they're saying what their dream life looks like, I'm taking down, okay, this is goal one. This is goal two. This is goal three. But it allows them to change their mindset because it all starts with that. If you don't have that down or if you're in a constant fight or flight reflex, it's impossible to get your money. And unfortunately, in our culture, in our community, we're always in fight or flight. 
always in fight or flight and it's not just because of us but it's about the media it's everything yeah. else that's around us so we have to get out of that in order to make progress yeah. otherwise we're going to keep doing the same things over and over from generation to generation I love that because I think that when you say to someone what are your goals people default to what should I be saying as opposed to what do I genuinely authentically want so dreaming is free I always tell my clients dream in full color don't police yourself when it comes to dreaming like literally what would you want? What would you do? What does that look like? What does it taste like, feel, smell like? What is it that you truly want? And then we can build from there. But I also love what you do, Tiff, and how you explain that because I believe you set an atmosphere that removes shame. Yes. And for me, removing shame for a group of people who have been shamed to death for any and everything, for, everything. for any and everything, <laughs> hair, clothes, body type, like everything. everything. <laughs> Removing shame, I think, is like what my specialty is. Yes. Like I share my story and share my testimony so openly and freely, doesn't matter where I go, because I want to help people lower their resistance so they can actually learn. Absolutely. And can you briefly share that story again? I know we got to hear it a little bit earlier, but it was just so impactful, and I just think that this audience would appreciate hearing that. Yeah, I always say I got into real estate was my first kind of entry into personal mm -hmm. finance. 19 years old, 21 years old, become a real estate and mortgage broker before I graduate from college. So I leave, I go off, create this business which becomes wildly successful by the time I'm 25. And I thought it would go on forever. I'm a naive kid from the hood. Like to me, did like this gonna happen forever. 25, 26 years old, the recession hits. What I didn't share on the stage is when the recession hit, I was actually in the hospital on bed rest. I took a fall down the stairs and I went into labor at 20 weeks pregnant. So when I got to the hospital, they were like, I'm sorry, the baby's coming any minute. There's nothing we can do. So I just started praying, doing the only thing I knew to do, calling people, asking them to pray. And what was supposed to be any minute now turned into me being on hospital bed rest for 10 weeks. So when those banks start closing down, I'm in the hospital on bed rest. I have 16 loan officers and real estate agents. I have no deals closing. Everybody's deals are falling apart. They're calling me freaking out. I'm used to being the fixer. I can't even go to the bathroom by myself. So ain't no fixing anything for anybody else. And my doctor came in one day and she said, Patrice, if you don't stop stressing, you're gonna leave here two years in a row with no baby. I had a son the year before and he passed after five hours in my arms. I want to set the scene. Like there's a lot going on here. I'm already grieving the loss of my first child. I get pregnant again. I'm grieving. I'm still going in. Take this fall down the stairs. I'm in the hospital. I see my business slipping away that has been my baby for all these years now. And I leave, by the time I leave the hospital, yes, I have the baby, she's healthy. She's born 10 weeks prematurely. Mm -hmm. She stays in the hospital for three and a half weeks. My insurance had dropped me, had no idea until I'm checking mail when I get out of the hospital. So now I have almost $400,000 in medical debt, no deals closed. Like my husband at the time is juggling everything. We're like robbing Peter to pay Paul, as they say. I don't know where y'all from, but that's <laughs> what they say, where I'm from. Like doing all of that, and my home forecloses in Southern California. I'm trying to short sell investment properties. All our cars are repossessed. Like within a year, my life looked completely different. I went from a seven figure business to literally scraping up change. So you fast forward to me being in Metairie, Louisiana. So I'm from LA. I end up in another LA in the South, <laughs> a completely different culture shock. And every day is just something. The little truck we had is breaking down. No friends, no family. So I'm also there with a baby trying to navigate being a new mom. And 
the power gets cut off again. I'm chasing the power dam power man down with my baby on my hip saying, please, can you please turn the lights back on? I don't have enough money to get more milk and this milk has to last. And he takes pity on me. Like I was on welfare. I ended up on food stamps. Now I went to the University of Southern California. I graduated with honors. I did all the things, go to school, get good grades. I followed the recipe that I heard. And still after making all that money, somehow, and I mean, it was the recession, there was a lot happening, but there were also things that I could have done. And a lot of what I experienced in that season, I was suffering in silence because I didn't know how to tell people. There was so much shame and guilt and embarrassment. I didn't know, I couldn't even ask my mom for money. My mom didn't even know how bad we had it. She knew I wasn't doing well anymore, but she didn't know it was that bad. My dad didn't know, friends and family didn't know. We moved away from everyone just to hide. And that is where I had what I call my come to Jesus moment. That was my bathroom floor, getting in the mirror and saying, God, I, I don't understand. I did all the things I thought I was supposed to do. Why am I here? How did I get here? And I didn't say this on the stage this time, but I usually say I found a scripture, it was Proverbs 17, 16. And this is a scripture that my whole business is based on now. What good is money in the hands of a fool if they have no desire to seek wisdom? Mm. What good is money in the hands of a fool if they have no desire to seek wisdom? That's why my Instagram name is Seek Wisdom. That's why it's been that from the beginning of Instagram. Mm -hmm. I didn't even, that's what this journey has been is like, not only am I always looking to seek wisdom, but then also like, how do I bring other people along? And that's exactly why, that's why I'm here now. So I came back to FinCon to share that I took a position as an opportunity coach so I could go back into communities and help connect people to resources through the show Opportunity Knock. So knock, knock, Opportunity Knocks will, <laughs> comes out on PBS this fall. So it's all over the country. And I just think about, and I just sincerely, you guys, I think about what it felt like to be in that space and to literally not feel like I could ask anyone. And in communities of color, what are we taught? You better not tell people your business. That's exactly what I was going to hit on. Like when you were talking about how you sought help and, you know, the community resources. Y'all, as a single mom of two boys for a long time, I'm like, don't be afraid or don't be, don't, take the stigma out of getting help from whether it's government nonprofits, what have you, because they're there for that reason. They're there for you to, it, like, and that's the misconception. People are like, oh, I don't want to get help because I'll be on it forever. No, or, I gave my EBT card back. I right. went, I, listen, <laughs> you that's food for stamps day. for those of you who are fancy and you don't know, food stamps. <laughs> Let me tell you, I had it for 18 months. Mm -hmm. And when I got to a place where I genuinely was like, I don't think I need it, I went to the, the office, it's on Roswell Road in Sandy Springs, Georgia, north of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And I went back and I said, hey, how can I give this back? And they were like, you wanna give it back? I'm like, yeah, I don't need it anymore. Mm -hmm. And the lady looked at me like I was crazy. She's like, girl, you better strip the... I was, she was like, we're not gonna take the card back. And I was like, you can just cut it off. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't, I just don't need it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you're genuinely like, you use it for what you need it for. Cause when I went to apply for it, I had a breakdown in the office. Like, I'm not supposed to be here. And I remember the woman said, first of all, black, older black woman, girl, pull it together, get this <laughs> tissue. And we got a line, we don't have time for this. And she said, okay, so when you had your business, did you pay taxes? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, then you paid into this. Mm. You need this right now. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with you. 
And just her giving me that black mama, that big auntie, she was giving me that energy. Mm -hmm. You know, shut up and take this service. <laughs> but I'm so glad because I had created a stigma around it. That's why I was suffering in silence. That's why so many of us suffer in silence. And Opportunity Knocks, like the whole premise of the show is for people to know it's okay to get help. It's okay to look for resources, whether that's for childcare or your car note mm -hmm. is too high or you need rent or mortgage assistance or you need any number of services. There are nonprofits and there are not-for-profits, CDFIs, Community Development Financial Institutions, in your backyard that are there to help. But we don't know, so don't we don't do it. Don't but know. so the show really shines a light on there are resources in your neighborhood. Get those resources. And... It's something I wish I had back then, but I'm so glad I could be a part of spreading the message now. Absolutely, and we're about to wrap, but can you just remind our audience when they can find this resource and where to find it? Yeah, so you can find out all things Opportunity Knox at opportunityknox.net, but you'll be able to watch the show this October. So in different cities, it comes on at different times. So you have to check your PBS, like network in your city, but it's, it comes out this October, or you can go to opportunitynox.net and there you'll find the Opportunity Finder. So that's the tool that you just plug in your zip code and say what it is you need and it'll give you resources right in your backyard. And that's available right now. Yeah. Because I can't wait to use this when I get home. Yeah. I can give people resources. Because I'm about to put on free financial literacy classes from my local community. Oh, I love and that it. that would be wonderful to be able to spread that resource. So yeah. please, y'all, <laughs> make sure you tap into that because that is gold. That is yeah. awesome. Patrice, we really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're very busy. <laughs> and it's been a pleasure to, uh, to interview you and to share this platform with you, Tiffany. So I'm Rakim Sabri. I'm at all social medias at Rakim Sabri. And I'm Tiffany Grant, Money Talk with Tiff, podcast, blog, all free information, all free educational information. So please just dive in. And I'm at Money Talk with T on all social platforms. And Patrice, where can people find you? You can find more about me at Seek Wisdom PCW. Instagram is my favorite place to play online. And then, of course, you can find out more about Opportunity Knox at OpportunityKnox.net. Perfect. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening, joining, and being a part of the Money Talk with Tiff podcast this week. You can check Tiff out every Thursday for a new Money Talk podcast. But if you just can't wait until next week, you can listen to previous podcast episodes at moneytalkwitht.com or follow Tiff on all social media platforms at Money Talk with T. Until next time, spend wise by spending less than you make. A word to the money wise is always sufficient.